0: Law self defense content you are about to enjoy is presented for general educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice. If you are in need of legal advice, consult competent legal counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Welcome to our ongoing coverage of the Minnesota murder trial of Derek Chauvin over the in custody death of George Floyd. I am attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self Defense. Today, the thirteenth of this trial. The defense presents the second day of its case-in-chief to the jury in its efforts to create a reasonable doubt in the minds of the jurors as to the criminal charges for which Chauvin is being tried. As always, we'll be live-streaming and live-blogging the court proceedings below. At the end of court yesterday, after the jury had been excused for the day, the lawyers and judge did some legal housekeeping on some of the exhibits, the non-testimonial evidence in court, like videos, photographs, uh, training manuals and reports, uh, which was as one might expect rather boring to watch. But a couple of points were made during those discussions that I thought worth sharing with all of you. However, before today's proceedings to start, one is the court's to hear this morning a motion for judgment of acquittal. So that's the first item of interest. That at we think eight forty five a.m. central time this morning the court will be hearing motions requests from the parties in this case, and one of those will be a motion. By the defense for an acquittal. As some background, when the prosecution rests its case in chief, there is a theoretical possibility that even if everything the state said was accepted as true by the jury, that a rational guilty verdict would still be impossible. One such scenario would be where a charged crime has, say, four distinct elements, each and every one of which must be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. But the state completely forgot to present evidence on one of those required elements, meaning there's literally zero evidence in court on that element. Well, the only purpose of the jury is to be the finder of fact, to evaluate evidence. If there's literally no evidence on an element of the charge, then there's nothing for the jury to consider. And in that case, there's no rational basis on which the jury could conclude that element of the charge was proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And if that's the case, as a strictly technical legal matter, no jury could find that the criminal charge as a whole was proven beyond a reasonable doubt. In such a case, it would be appropriate for a trial judge to grant a motion for acquittal submitted by the defense and end the trial right there with a judge-ordered, not guilty verdict for the defendant, taking the matter entirely out of the hands of the jury. We'll hear that motion for acquittal from the defense in the Chauvin trial this morning, and Judge Cahill will almost certainly deny that motion because the prosecution in this case did not commit the blunder. Uh, that would be required for the granting of such a motion to be appropriate. We may not like the evidence the state has put forward on the elements of the criminal charges in this case. We may think that evidence weak or self-contradictory or paid for or lies or whatever, but there is evidence to consider. And so long as that's the case, deciding the weight and credibility of that evidence falls within the province of the jury and they will not be denied the opportunity to carry out their finder-of-fact role in this trial. Also to be considered, if only for practical purposes, of course, is whether any judge presiding over this case would be willing to take the political consequences of having taken the decision from the jury and handing an acquittal to a person that much of the body politic in his jurisdiction believes to be a racist police murderer. That said, there are multiple charges in this case, and it's theoretically possible that the judge could grant a judgment of acquittal on some of those charges and not others. That might diminish some of that political pressure without entirely taking the case out of the hands of the jury, but personally, I don't expect that to happen either. I will also note that the timing of the hearing of this motion is rather odd. So normally, a motion for a judgment of acquittal is heard immediately after the state has rested its case-in-chief and before the defense has begun to present the defense case-in-chief. That didn't happen here. Obviously, the defense began to present its case-in-chief yesterday, and the motion is only being heard this morning. Also normally, if the defense doesn't submit a motion for acquittal before it starts to present its own case in chief, then the window, the opportunity to do so is considered to have closed. The motion will be denied by the court, not even on a consideration of the merits, but simply because the motion is no longer timely. The defense is deemed to have missed the deadline. In yesterday's closing meeting with the parties, however, Judge Cahill made clear that he had instructed the defense to dive right into its case in chief in order to make the most efficient use of the time of the jury. At the same time, he'd given his word to the defense that they would have the opportunity to have their motion for acquittal heard outside the hearing of the jury later in the proceedings and without having to be uh, concerned that the motion for acquittal would be denied as not timely. And that's where we are on that motion for this morning. Another interesting mention in yesterday's housekeeping meeting with Judge Cahill came up in the context of the number of disclosures and exhibits that have been dumped on the defense in this case, a large chunk of which have been dumped on the defense even as the trial was taking place. Now, as background, there are always materials collected by the parties that ought to be shared with opposing counsel as part of discovery under Minnesota procedure. Each of these items is labeled with what's called a Bates stamp, a unique identifying number, and then a bunch of these are collected together and delivered as a disclosure. Ideally, by the time a trial actually starts, both sides will have long since received the other's disclosure items early enough to have time to consider and research them before the trial begins. That has not been the process in this trial, particularly with respect of state disclosures to the defense. When this trial began, the state had already delivered to the defense 41 disclosures consisting of 45,118 Bates-stamped items. If that sounds like a lot, that's because it is. But the disclosures of the state did not stop there, did not stop with the start of the trial as one would normally expect, indeed not even close. I mean, we might expect a few things to kind of dribble in during the trial, but what we saw here was not a few. Since the start of the trial, in other words, while the sole defense attorney Nelson has been occupied the entirety of every day in trial on this case, the state has continued to deliver disclosures to the defense, each containing a great many Bates-stamped items. Indeed, since the start of the trial, the state has made 12 additional disclosures to the defense, consisting of 5,154 additional Bates-stamped items. Yes, 5,154 yesterday was the 12th day of this trial that works out to the defense having to review newly delivered bait stamped items at an average of 430 per day that's 430 newly delivered baits items per day to the defense and folks that is not normal Now, the defense raised this issue yesterday afternoon in the context of anticipated cross-examination of defense experts by the state today. Much of the most recently delivered discovery consists of materials that could be, certainly will be, used in an attempt to impeach those defense experts. Given the delivery of this discovery so late in the course of the trial and the volume of the material itself, the defense is asking the court to order the prosecution to disclose in some detail exactly which of those newly disclosed exhibits it actually intends to use to impeach the defense experts. And the judge asked the prosecution to do so to the extent they reasonably could, which strikes me as a completely ineffectual solution to this real problem for the defense. I expect the real reason the defense raised this issue on the record yesterday was, well, to establish it as an issue on the record for purposes of appeal. Okay, folks, that's it for the early morning content, except, of course, stay tuned right here on this page for the day's live streaming of the court's proceedings as well as our live blogging throughout the day in real time. Before I go, in view of the ongoing riots raging presently in Minneapolis and likely to explode across the nation when this case arrives at a verdict or mistrial, I've also taken the liberty of putting together a special opportunity, a special offer to access our best-selling course, Lawful Defense Against Rioters, Looters, and Arsonists, available in both online streamed and DVD formats. If that's of interest, you can find out more by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com/riot. Have it up on the screen here if you're watching this in video. lawofselfdefense.com/riot. And thanks as always to both Legal Insurrection and CCW Safe for the support that makes my coverage of this case possible. All right folks, I'm going to prepare for the day's proceedings. As always, I am attorney Andrew Branker for law self defense. Stay safe.